0: It's time to have lunch and talk sports. The Jeff Danzler Show on the Superstations. It is indeed lunchtime in Athens. I miss old signing day. There was a lot of angst. Usually a good surprise, usually a bad surprise. You don't know, like those bad surprises. But I miss old signing day. I'm thinking about Athens, Georgia, and how many of our fans would make their way up to the blind pig or buffaloes, you name it, for those great signing day parties. It is lunchtime in Athens from America's greatest college town. Hello in Macon, Montezuma, Warner Robins, home of Chris Rogers, our producer, Perry in Fort Valley, down into deep south Georgia, Pinehurst, Rochelle, Waycross, home of Bill Shanks, Blackshear, Eastman, Cochran, Hawkinsville, Tifton, Ashburn. Cordill and Unadilla, and all our friends on the coast at Savannah, Wilmington Island, out to Tybee Lake, and to Brunswick, Jekyll Island, St. Simon, Sea Island, all the beautiful gold dials, to the 912, the 478, and the 229. From the 706, along with our superb producer, Mr. Chris Rogers, my name is Jeff Dantzler. No guest today, only you, as the Platters once sang. 478-646-3776. That's 478 646 es pn and you can shoot me a tweet at jeffdansler tv let me know where you're listening from let's expand those states we've had listeners and callers from all across georgia florida alabama north carolina south carolina tennessee and dallas texas arizona california portland seattle up north and pennsylvania new york city boston even in chicago vermont virginia Maryland and D.C. in the Mid-Atlantic, this show, the Bill Shank Show, all of our interviews, simply go to the superstations.com easy to download. And As I always emphasize, if I can do it, being definitively low-tech, so can you. And I would encourage, uh, not for me, uh, but for our guest yesterday, if you have not heard it, to go and listen to the interview with Malcolm Mitchell, as it was, because of the guest, exceptional. And Malcolm, always great stories, always uplifting. He is a tremendous public speaker. He's tough to follow. As I said, the only problem with having Malcolm on is that you feel lazy because this guy's always doing so much. He's an achiever, one of those guys. And uh, now he's got those big hands, So he said, made perfectly to catch a football. Now he's playing the piano now, so that's great. So he's going to be Ray Charles and Billy Joel along with being a – Great football player and a great author. So I think you would enjoy that. Just go to the superstations.com And my lovely bride, Emily, to and fro school, she likes to listen to podcasts. And you can listen to these interviews in podcast form, and they are easy to stream as well. Uh, all of our shows are. And, again, being definitively low-tech, if I can do it, So can you. My mom even knows how to stream down in Statesboro. Hey, Mom. My dad and my stepmom, Patty, listening in down in Savannah. And my Uncle Joe, listening in on 104.3 out of the SAV. And, of course, I know they're listening in down today in Milledgeville, Georgia, on the shores of Lake Sinclair, trying to figure out which baseball game they're going to come cheer on the dogs for the great Alex Goodrich with, the great man himself, Larry Legend, Larry Edwards and his lovely bride, Chardonnay Sharon, with Milo and Ollie. Let me know where you're listening from. Love to say hello. A couple of topics I'd like to hit today. And I say it every year for Georgia baseball, uh, my big wish. What do you do before the you Go Please, 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 prayers, 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 that our pitching stays healthy. Please, please, please. And that's Number one item for this year. I was talking with Georgia's new coach, Wes Johnson, about that. Oh, gosh, just a couple of weeks ago. And Coach Johnson did a great job. He was our guest this past Friday. That's another one you can go back and listen to. It was terrific. And just keep that pitching healthy. Oh, my goodness, that's the big key. All right. Oh, by the way, i I heard a song this morning. It was playing on the radio that's how i heard it and i just say if if you say you don't like it i I think you're lying little barry manlow the copacabana all right i've even got my man card i put on two week suspension bye now let me let me let me check my tweets here but yeah i love it it's just one of those songs don't be ashamed it's a great song copacabana thomas dupree says man card two week suspension Road dog Adam Gillespie, late night Luke Nadd Carney. Appreciate you guys. Greg Cody says he can't get that song out of his head. Hey, it's a great one. It's a classic. Uh, another great Barry Manilow tune. Didn't you think we'd be talking about Barry Manilow here on National Signing Day? Uh, with the open, ready to take a chance again to one of the terrific movies and all-time great cast. I think Chevy Chase's most underrated movie ever, Foul Play. Great storyline, and Dudley Moore in there is just brilliant. Forerunner to his masterpiece, Arthur. Thank you to Rob Matry. What's not to like? Music and passion. Sam Moss says they used to sing that to their Frenchy Bulldog. Thank you to Storm Whitfield. My man Cuts Benedict's covered up his eyes. And Keith Pitts, thank you very much. Talk about some sign of day memories. Going back to the Blind Pig and Butts Mare building. And Todd Unzinger says the same thing. W. Anderson talking about going back to the blind pig in Athens. And those were great days. Thank you to M. Tolbert and Ken from coming. Perry Parks asked a question. Because I know at some point they're going to do a movie about Malcolm. And I have begged, if not demanded, that I'm in the movie. And he said it Yesterday. Might get a cameo in there. So I want it to be me. I don't want it to be an actor portraying me. If it is, it's looking like Ed Begley Jr. is the guy. Just looking that way. Now, that would be cool. I've always wanted to be a movie star and a game show host. Still chugging away at that. By the way, Immaculate Grid today, both the Hawks and Falcons are on there. My buddy Robbie Kirk's loving that one. So National Signing Day. Uh, I I think back through the years, and if you want to go back, and I always say in in my life, really, sports began in 1980, and you you know why. And the greatest college football player ever really got the recruiting hoopla and bonanza. He took it next level because the goal line stalker, Herschel Walker, did not sign until Easter Sunday. Uh, Obviously, if I have to explain this, you're like 10 years old and skipping school today. But obviously, this was well before social media, as in three decades before. Well before that internet thing. Well before even sports talk radio in this neck of the woods. You might have a show after a game, but that was it. The the sports you got was, this was even before ESPN. I, I guess it was up north, but we hadn't gotten it down here yet. Any sports you got, it was on your local news or in the newspaper. And I remember what a big deal it was when we could get home delivery of the AJC so I could get me some good Georgia coverage back in the day. But there was that daily pursuit. Did Herschel sign? Did Herschel sign? Did Herschel sign? And finally on Easter Sunday, Herschel signed. And I think enough lights went off and enough heads because he was the undisputed top prospect out there. All of the best programs were chasing with, with of course, home state Georgia leading the way. And eventually he signs with Georgia and has the incredible impact, national championship, three straight SEC titles, Heisman Trophy. And it was that pursuit of Herschel Walker that lit the fuse for the recruiting craze. And then you started getting the recruiting magazines. It was at Forrest Davis. I can't remember what what Lindy's, who did Lindy's magazine was. Maybe his name was Davis as well, last name as well. Uh, Max M. Finger. And it would grow and grow and grow. And I can remember getting my Athlons in 1982 and seeing that we had signed nine top 100 prospects, Three in the top ten, none of whom ever played a down for us, Jamie Harris, Gerald Browner, and George Smith, not to be confused with Andre Pulpwood-Smith. And, you know, here it is now. And uh, with everything that's gone into that, just having, especially as we talked a lot with the Super Bowl, now going back into February, just having that Wednesday, that national signing day, either the week before or the week after, depending on how the calendar falls around the Super Bowl, that was that last huge chunk of football. And this is also, if you want to go back to when New Year's Day was it, that was the last day of the season. Well, even now, the season, of course, now it's going to be January, what, 20th. But, you know, if it's around January 10th, as it was when Georgia beat TCU, you know, it's it's still a good month, and then you get – you. you had signing day, and I miss it. And the other thing, is, we've talked so much, college football really, really needs to get a functioning timeline back. And with all the, the meetings going on, you've heard about the discussions with the SEC and the Big Ten. A big key to getting college football back on a manageable, and I'll say offseason, and a – and, and a more reasonable, gosh, let's talk about geography when it comes to, college, to conference expansion. Uh, getting everybody on the same page, getting a functioning timeline, and uh, getting the guardrails with the NIL. And, and it seems like, because th- this is completely unsustainable, the wheels are in motion for that. And, and, and I just feel like with the SEC and the Big Ten coming together on this, that's a big step in the right direction because I feel like ultimately college football needs to go to an NFL model. And that would then probably mean only the, the top programs, let's say the best 40 or 50 or so, who knows, maybe more. Uh, and then you get to a point where the contracts are written evenly, the money is shared evenly. Uh, because the, the foundation of college athletics, as we've said so many times, and I saw it firsthand yesterday, watching the Georgia tennis team defeat Tech. It's my school with my players against my rival school and their players, and my school won, and it made me very happy. And there's, there's something powerful. Our old minister, Chuck Hodges, from Athens First United Methodist Church, said at one time, one of the reasons he loves Georgia football so much, because everybody's for something. And I agree with that when you're for something. And that's part of what makes college athletics so very special and so important to us all. And, and I'm, I'm not alone. I know I'm sure most of our listeners here are Georgia fans When, since as long as you can remember at Georgia football, those Georgia Bulldogs have been a centerpiece of your life. And you think about all those memories, the good times, the great times, and the, the bad and the sad. And we don't want to lose that. But there's got to be some organization when it comes to college athletics as things have gone off the rails in many areas. But I do think there's an opportunity to get things back on the rails and to get some sort of control on things. And I think the SEC and the Big Ten kind of banning together is a good step in that direction. But the next thing we got to do is get that workable timeline. And to me, that starts with do it away with the early signing period. I know one of the reasons that the coaches do like it is that it gives you greater opportunity. I think at Georgia, I think we've got 19 guys in early. Now, you could still have early enrollees if you went back to just having the regular signing day in February, those players graduating early. Now, the rules were always written. Those players counted against last year. But, yes, there were. If you graduated high school early, you were allowed to go ahead and enroll where you were going. So we could certainly still have that. But in terms of putting together a roster, you need to know who was transferred out and who was turning pro and who's returning before you put together your National Signing Day class. And I get it. The portal came along after the 2018 decision to create the early signing period. I think there were a lot of unintended consequences with that, but getting it back and getting it back to essentially today, that would be a really, really good thing for college athletics. Plus it was a bit of this for college football fans, this national holiday in early February. There were a lot of fans that would take the day off from work to drive up to Athens or obviously whoever you're a fan of. And it was, it was really, really a neat thing. And I remember the old days of the fax machines shooting the names through, checking those boxes off. We've all got our signing day stories. One I remember that was was not so fun back when Danny Ford and Pat Dye were doing their thing at, at two of our arch rivals. It would have been February of 1986 and maybe 87. Yeah, I think February of 87. It was after the 86 season. And, again, no news. Uh, You're just sitting there, and I can remember staying up, watching the local news out of Savannah down in Statesboro, and just hoping they would list off the classes. They did not. The only thing that was mentioned was a kid from Wayne County, from Jessup in our viewing area who signed with Georgia Lowry-Denty, so that was the only news I had. So I'm chomping at the bit. Next morning, get up early, run to the mailbox, nothing. No Statesboro paper, no Savannah paper, no Atlanta paper, nothing, nothing, nothing. Got to get ready for school. And my mom, who's wonderful, said, well, listen, you go ahead, shower up, get ready. I'll keep an eye out for the paper. So she goes running across Forest Pines Drive, grabs the paper. I'm in the shower, just wanting to get John Johnson, top prospect in the state along with David Rocker who went to Auburn, Those dastardly rocker brothers all left us. And John Johnson had to get him. Had to get John Johnson. Man, this guy, he had verbally committed to Georgia. But apparently, as the story goes, we couldn't find him for a couple days, even though it was a dead period. Again, Danny Ford was doing his thing over at Clemson. So I'm just in the shower. And my mom yells through the door. Johnson went to Clemson. Got that day off to a bad start. That's one of my early signing day memories i remember getting marcus stroud when he opened up that florida jersey and had the georgia jersey on inside and those great signing day wins it's an awfully good feeling and signing day always gives you hope because you're thinking this class or maybe this guy they could be that difference maker and i think at georgia because of herschel's impact as a freshman it's always meant a little bit more to us because you keep thinking Maybe he's that next guy. And lo and behold, there have been a few who've been awfully close, including a tight end who wore number 19 named Brock Bowers, as part of two national championships, and now is moving on to the NFL. So we'll see. I don't. It's not looking now like George is going to sign anybody today. Like I said, Kirby, he is, I think we all know this, he is the master of roster management. So if the dogs did sneak in and grab somebody today, it wouldn't shock me. Hadn't heard anything out there on the back channels at all. But I uh, I miss the old National Signing Day. Shoot me a tweet as I wax poetically, and uh, even with some, some sad news of John Johnson from back in the day, uh, back from 1987. Let us know where you're listening from, and also uh, tell us just who you think the Braves' most important player is. I get it, Acuna is their best player. He's their most valuable player. He was the National League's most valuable player. And that could certainly be the answer. Uh, but to me, just having that healthy pitching, I think the Braves' most important player might be Spencer Strider. Got to have that healthy pitching. But, of course, Atlanta, I know pitching was more the issue last year. than getting the playoffs and they can't score in the postseason, as you don't know. And that that too is a problem with the baseball postseason, a season that is a marathon. Then the postseason turns into a sprint. And I say football, it's a it's a one game week from the regular season to the postseason. I mean the NBA is a four out of seven, and the rest versus rust. Well, that's only an issue if you sweep somebody, because everybody's playing in the quarters, the semis, the conference finals, and then the championship. But yeah, baseball, the team's getting the buys. Again, the three teams that won hundred games last year, the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Orioles, went a combined one and nine in the first round of the playoffs, and that was a miracle Braves win, by the way. That's who's the most important Atlanta Brave out there, favorite signing day memories, and hey, we've even taught Barry Manilow here today. Thank you to my good friend RDU dog. Foul play is a classic to paraphrase last week. If the ladies like Manilo, you like Manilo. Indeed, Uh, dog pitching, keep it healthy, no free bases, check, check. Those are Coach Johnson's goals as well. And, oh, there you go. Oh, this is pretty awesome, RDU dog. And this was always a much watch on Easter Sunday night still to this day, the Charlton Heston classic, The Ten Commandments. What a great movie. Ewell Brenner just being a, a great villain as Ramses, Pharaoh, so it shall be written, so it shall be done. R to you, Doug, I remember them breaking into the Ten Commandments on Easter Sunday night to announce that Herschel had signed. A happy night, indeed. Phone numbers, if you'd like to join us here today, 478-646-3776. Georgia basketball, Starkville bound. The Bulldogs playing the Bulldogs tonight. Georgia and Mississippi State on the men's side. Georgia and Mississippi State on the women's side tomorrow. And I will be doing this show, Lunchtime in Athens, from Starkville, from the hump tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. I'll be at the hump in Starkville after eating dinner tonight tonight. At Harvey's, and then doing lunch at Little Dewey's tomorrow—a great one-two punch when it comes to SEC cuisine. Thank you very much for being with us on a Monday. Excuse me, what's today? Today's a Tuesday or a Wednesday? It's Wednesday. Good gracious, it's signing day. Sorry, I had one of my senior moments. Too much Mantello today. Uh, the lovely Hermie is resting in my office. Albus is perched up in the sun somewhere, and my beautiful bride's stalking the premises as well. Having a great Wednesday. Now, cut that part out don't make a, a promo out of that you hear that Chris and happy anniversary to Chris Rogers from yesterday as well and happy birthday to one of the great bulldogs of all time legendary swim and dive coach Jack Bowerley who is perpetually 29 years old it's lunchtime in Athens on the superstation now back to the Jeff Dantzler show on the superstation the hottest
1: spot. Fell in love. His name was Rico. He wore a diamond. He was escorted. punches flew and chairs were smashed in two there was blood and a single gunshot but just who shot who at the copa copacabana the hottest spot north of havana at the copa Cabana music and passion were always the just a
0: masterpiece She lost her love. She lost her love. The Copa. Oh, man. Great work, Chris Rogers. Just covered up with it. On the fly. Terrific job there. Thank you, Ryan Daniel. Chuck Red tweets in. Talking about Malcolm Mitchell. So I remember seeing him at the Under Armour All-America game, really hoping he would be a dog. That's before I even knew what kind of man he really was. One of my top ten favorite dogs ever. That catch at Jacksonville will never be forgotten. Agree with that. I, I still, for my money, and I, I know, trust me, how big Sony's touchdown was and Lorenzo Carter's block was against Oklahoma. At that point, we still could have won the game. I, I still think that splitting the two defenders and the touchdown against the Gators by Malcolm in 2012 was the play of the decade. That would get my vote. I know we had a lot of great ones, but uh, that, that was something. His Tom Brady story almost has made me forgive Tom for twenty-eight to three. Great stuff. Thank you, Ryan and Chuck Town Red. Uh, thank you, Gary Wise. Most important player for the Atlanta Braves? How about Chris Sale, the six-foot-six, hard-throwing lefty? Can he return to dominance in his days with the Red Sox? Healthy starting pitching is going to be crucial. Let me agree with that 100%. I've texted Bill Shanks. I got the scoop from him. We're going to talk some Braves pitching here, most important Braves. But very first, uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, Ken from Macon has been kind enough to hold. Ken, good afternoon to you, sir. What's on your mind?
1: Man, everybody keeps talking about all these pitchers, but there's one guy that took Mr. Chipper Jones' place that I think is one of the main keys. That's Mr. Austin Riley.
0: Uh, He's a great third baseman. And uh, just what Atlanta's been able to do, and thank you for the call, Ken. Uh, What Atlanta's been able to do in stockpiling these prospects, it's very similar to what they did in the early to mid-90s. And just to, to run back through history there, Atlanta had the young pitching that hit it once with Glavin, Smoltz, and Avery Pete Smith was very good and they had david justice and ron gant had great young players i remember i went to a bunch of games in the summer 1990 thinking you know these guys I i could see them in in three four years contending well what happened they all had their breakout years at the same time and then as we all know they had the great free agent acquisitions which were meant to plug some holes Terry Pendleton went from being a 270-type hitter to the MVP. It's Sid Bream, Rafael Belliard, and, of course, they won the pennant. And the way Atlanta was able to sustain that, they had that early run. Of course, the pitching held up. Then they went out and signed Maddox, but they had Chipper Jones and Ryan Klesko and Javi Lopez and Mark Wollers and Andrew Jones. They kept bringing up the stars, and that's how you're able to go for a a decade-and-a-half run. And now you look at the players that they have produced – with Acuna and Albies. Of course, Freeman had, had been around but was homegrown. And Austin Riley, absolutely tremendous. Uh, the the players that they've been able to turn out. And Riley has been just a stud in the middle of that lineup and just a very good third baseman. That's a long throw. I even think about – I'm looking at my, my glove, my uh, – Pr four two five six, Pete Rose infielder's glove there, and they get back to play in little league at Statesboro, Georgia. That throw from third base is a long throw, no matter where you are. And Riley's big and strong, and he can make that throw with ease. So he is very, very good. Uh, as as far as the Braves this year and what the rotation would look like, I asked Bill. And he texted me in and he said, Freed, who by the way is 30 now, Strider, Morton, and Sale. And he, Morton's 39 years old. I don't know if he's a great postseason guy, but they didn't have him for the postseason this past year and missed him. And then a compilation with Elder, Lopez, Smith, Shawler and Noah. Asked about the bullpen. Says the closer is going to be Iglesias, needs to stay healthy. Said if he gets hurt, they'll scramble to make one of the others the closer. And I know this from my baseball history. Say it with me. When you get to that postseason, most famous home runs have one thing in common. They have been hit off of relief pitchers. When you get to the postseason, for the most part, you're as good as your bullpen is. But that's going to be the, the interesting thing. When I used to come on, before I had the daily show here, when I'd come on with Bill every Monday, yeah. we, we talked about this a lot. Pitchers are more coddled now than ever, yet pitching injury rates are far greater than ever. It's an epidemic, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Like overuse at, at a young age, specialization. And guy's not taking the quote-unquote offseason. You know, if you want to go to fall ball instead of playing football, instead of playing basketball, just overuse. And I, I see it, too, in, in college where all of our staffs here at Georgia have done a great job managing the pitching. Uh, but the way, say, an SEC weekend sets up, you play a game Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You have a midweek game on Tuesday. You play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you want that weekend rotation. And it's isn't just Georgia. It's everywhere. So these guys are pitching once every seven days, and it's rare to get 100 pitches. I bet last year, I can go back and look at the stats, regular season, I would bet you there were under four complete games thrown by SEC pitchers last year, nine inning games. There are a couple of, you know, a pair of seven inning games that somebody could go the route. But they're – and I think, too, pitch, obviously they've been able to do that forever. You know, you all know the stories of guys like Cy Young and Walter Johnson. You know, what was the, the great battles at Marischal and Spahn, Larry, that win uh, 17 innings apiece. And I'm not saying that goes for everybody every day. Even when I was a kid, up, it was four-man rotations. I get the five-man rotation. But pitchers get hurt more now. And hopefully that's something in baseball. Things are cyclical. Maybe we can change that back. But it wasn't that long ago that you used to – you know, you you had that rotation. You'd say, okay, well, that's going to be our rotation for the year in the postseason, and now you're just – you're you're just hopeful that it's – you don't lose two or three guys. I think you just kind of assume you're going to have at least a a pitcher or two that's going to go down for a while. And you just – you hope you make the postseason and they're – ready to go and healthy and good to go. So if that's what the Braves rotation looks like. I'll, I'll go, and again, the, the question I asked out there in the Twitterverse was the Braves' most important player this year, and I guess with that, most important player to stay healthy. And obviously Acuna, Albies, Riley, these guys are great. Matt Olson's terrific. Now this, this lineup's great. Their defense is really good. But keeping that pitching healthy. So I, I would say Strider or Freed, for me, would be the most important guys. And, man, Sale would really be a bonus. I think that was a, a pretty good gamble in terms of the risk-reward, bringing him in, because the, the Braves are at a point. Now, obviously, winning the World Series in 21, as the – there was a T-shirt put off after George won National Championship, World National Champions. You know, last year's team – That was a great team. They had a great year and then just picked the wrong time to get cold and lost three out of four, and it was all over. A suddenness, a sudden cruelty to the end. And when Gordo the Great, we'll get Gordon on with us again soon. When Gordon Becker was on, you know, he said it. The season is a marathon. The postseason is a sprint. And that's just a different animal. And I just don't like the way it's set up. And, and football, yeah, it's good to get that open date, to get that rest. And baseball, everybody needs to be playing the same number of series. I liked it better when it was the East versus the West, the four out of sevens. And I always thought it would have been a neat thing if the second-place team in one division had a better record than the division champ in the other, that they could have played a quick little series there. But that would have been guaranteed TV money. And then even when the first round of wild cards came around, okay, you had three division winners and the one wild card. Well, you had a bunch of wild cards going to the World Series. I just think about the Yankees-Red Sox. It didn't matter if you won the division or if you won the wild card or won that wild card spot. You're still in. And then they said, oh, we'll go to two wild cards. I didn't mind the one gamer. I like that. And that would be one where I think if you played that, Say the regular season ends on a Sunday, you play that on a Monday or two, like the next day or on Tuesday, and then everybody starts on Wednesday. Kind of you're all on the same ground. But the thing is we saw that one-game wild card winner. You win that thing, you're hot. I'm telling you, you'd rather win the division back under that format, but at the same time it's more of a non-negative than it is a plus. Because we, we saw plenty of teams that won that one gamer, and I guess was it the Royals and Giants, I believe, in 2014, both won it and made the World Series. So by playing in that, if you win it, it did nothing less to help your chances. And you, talk, you can talk about setting up pitching all you want. Well, let's say that that ace went in that one gamer. Well, guess what? Maybe you, you stole one on the road, and then you get that ace again in game three or game four. I didn't mind that as much, but having the four teams in the two out of three and the two get the buys on both sides, yeah. I don't like it. And again, that's not a coincidence that the three best teams who all won hundred games went one and nine in the postseason. And the fact that baseball doesn't reseed for the playoffs is insane. I mean football does it. It's so much plus it adds a little drama to it. It's already great trauma, always has been. But literally, if you're the one seed, you're sitting there going, well, we could play the winner of the 4-5 game. We could play the winner of the 6-2 game. We could play, I'm sorry, the 6-3 game. We could play the winner of the 7-2 game. So, doesn't give you quite as much of an edge with that advanced scouting there. Uh, my lovely wife just sent me a beautiful beachside picture. And if you're at the beach enjoying the coast in of the off season, be sure to let us know. Shoot me a tweet at Jeff Dansler TV. Love to hear about your signing day memories. Talking a little pitching. Georgia baseball begins a week from Friday. Georgia and UNC Asheville, and of course, uh, we'll have all of that for you right here on the Superstations. More of your tweets on the other side as well, at Jeff TV. And I'll tell you what, because it is the original National Signing Day, we'll run through Georgia's recruiting class for this year. We're going to go in the wayback machine and pretend like we had won two national championships and then won the Orange Bowl and we're we'll riding a six-game win streak over Tech and sit on top of the college football world with a new class coming at you from your favorite Athens eatery and drinkery. And right now, I am sitting in my museum slash office overlooking beautiful Five Points here in Athens, Georgia with lunchtime in Athens on the Superstations. Now, back to the Jeff Dantzler Show on the Superstations. Benny and the Jets. Hey, kids. Chris, how's that list coming for our... Cheesy love song Valentine's Day show. Better be really good.
1: Oh yeah, I got All some right. doozies in there.
0: Okay, might have to do a quick name that tune. Valentine's Day. So that is a week from tomorrow, right? Today is to, no a week from today. Today. God knows, I'm off on my days. Need to just hit the. Re- this was a video game. I'd hit the reset button. I was looking through some orders uh, to place some food orders on the road for travel. I haven't eaten red meat in, oh, gosh, 15 years or so. Don't miss it. Don't miss steak. Every now and then a cheeseburger looks really good. But I'll tell you one thing with red meat, I saw this as an order potential. Obviously, I can't do. that. I do miss is a good meatball sub. Because, man, those are pretty darn tasty. All right. Georgia signing class. Again, let's pretend we're back in time. And this is signing day. So here's what we got. And I like going off this 24-7 rankings because that's a compilation of all the sites. And it is what it is. And I know every coach says we don't look at the rankings but the school that has the number 50 class, if you offered to trade them the number four class, sight unseen, they would take the deal. It's a broad brush. Recruiting rankings don't lie in that they get you that seat at the table, and it can be those one or two guys or those intangibles that make the difference. But in theory, you're not going to be a consistent top five team with recruiting classes that are in the 50s and 60s. That's just the way it is. So here's George's class, and here's the cool part for the dogs. Nineteen of these guys are already enrolled, meaning they are in school now and working out with Scott Sinclair, and getting ready for spring practice. It's just around the corner. Ellis Robinson, cornerback, Bradenton, Florida, IMG Academy, very – rare that a true freshman breaks in and and has an impact and certainly that's a spot where it's rare to see a true freshman starting at corner but the feeling is this kid's good enough and and he's got that it factor that he's at the very least going to play and Mike could maybe slide in that nickel package some because George at corner Kamari Laster is one of the best we've ever had here so you're going to have Dalen Everett at one spot. It's good to have Julian Humphrey back. Hopefully he's okay. Daniel Harris played a good bit in the Orange Bowl. But that's a spot where the depth. Though, now Kirby has also talked. I mean, we've been stacked at corner like with Lasseter and Ringo and five stars coming in. You know, Kirby's a DB. DBs coach. Never have enough depth in the secondary. This is a year it's a little thin little thin. So I think Ellis Robinson helps, and maybe, just maybe, and we'll have to see how this plays out. This is me sitting here speculating. He could slide in one of those nickel spots. Uh, Justin Williams, a linebacker from Conroe, Texas, Oak Ridge High School. Five-star prospect. You figure he'll certainly play on special teams, and what you hope then is that he steps in as one of those backups at linebacker and becomes that heir apparent. That player who is a freshman – has the look, and then that next year steps in and is a frontline player. K.J. Bolden, you know the story there. It's kind of like DeMello Jones. Could play DB, could play wide receiver, projects as a safety. That was a huge early National Signing Day flip. Chris Cole, a linebacker from Virginia, a big defensive end from Texas, Joseph Jonah Ajanye, J.J.A., same high school as Justin Williams. That was a two-for-two two Texas Hall. Uh, have no idea about the level of athleticism, but just with the size, he's one of those guys. He's got the good mugshot too. I could see him playing the spot where Trayvon Walker played, one of those defensive ends. Coming in at six four two seventy five, uh, Daniel Calhoun. I think he would project as a down the road left tackle. Uh, would. Likely be a backup this year. He'll get his feet wet, going at 6'6 six, six a half, three sixty-five. 365. He's a great player at Walton High School. But he certainly projects as a potential starter early in his career on that Georgia offensive line for Stacey Sarles, uh, DeMello Jones, love him out of Swainsboro. You, know, you got to watch him against Prince Avenue, a high school here in Athens And Prince wound up beating them, but at one point Prince was up 28 26, and Swainsboro doesn't kick, only to kick off. And he had four touchdowns and a two pointer. He had an octopus and scored a TD three different ways. I would kind of lean towards seeing him on offense, but I would bet Kirby's could at least start him out at corner. Uh, Jordan Thomas. Big defensive lineman from New Jersey, six four three twenty two. He could project as a nose tackle. Uh, Again, yeah, he's from Ramsey, New Jersey, famous Don Bosco prep. Probably going to take him. I'm just telling you, when these guys, we've talked about this a lot from up north, when they come down, that heat just eats them up. But keep fighting, keep grinding. Maybe he's one of those guys that, in November, and remember, he still got the four game red shirt rule can step in there, add some depth, and especially now with the season going to January. These are the guys who, in years past, I think back 20, 30, 40 years ago, would have been red shirts. Now, especially with the four-game red shirt rule, this is where you get that depth if you got to play 16 or 17 games chasing that ultimate dream. Uh, Jane Riddell, a tight end from Peculiar, Missouri. Good-looking athlete. Now Georgia's got Lucky in Delp in those top two spots. Pierce Sperlin had a catch in the Orange Bowl. Another good DB. Georgia's DB class is really good. Andre Evans, a flip from LSU, number two-ranked prospect in Tennessee out of Nashville. Here is what I'm guessing is a future starting right tackle. Michael Uni from Corpus Cove, Texas. Georgia did some damage in Texas. 6'7", 335, just Big and strong. Nitro Tuggle, Niterion, his nickname is Nitro. He's fast. From the state of Illinois. And for whatever reason, wide receivers, that spot where Georgia has just struggled to consistently put together, and they've had good wide receiver classes but not what you've seen on the offensive line, what you've seen at running back, what you've seen at all three levels on defense, obviously at tight end for whatever reason. And, you know, where does that show? Well, let's look at Georgia's two-deep heading into this year. Of your top six wide receivers, at least four are going to be transfers. And Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas, who are obviously on this past year's team, and looking at Landon Humphreys and, Colby Young, who'll be transfers coming in for this coming season, and of course got to replace Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers at receiver and tight end. Got to replace Marcus Roseme jackson who was terrific. Lost some really good talent, but here over the last couple of classes, just for whatever reason, that receiver position's been the one where Georgia's just. Struggled some to consistently put together those numbers. Christopher Jones, another Virginia linebacker. Uh, Ryan Puglisi, he is a guy that George is very high on. He would come in now and and the number three quarterback behind obviously Carson Beck and Gunnar Stockton. And then he'll be the number three guy, but a big arm, a quick release. Here's another guy from up north, Marcus Easley, who's from Illinois, 6'5 335, are you picking up on the size? Nair Daniels from New Jersey, 6'7", 391. And one of the things, too, with Kirby and the way he's mastered the, the roster development here, he would prefer to bring in the bigger guys and work them and get them trimmed down, really get them in shape than in getting some of the smaller guys. This is all things being equal and really just working them and eating them and, and trying to put on as much weight as you possibly can. It's 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 interesting that, you know, un- unlike in real life, <laughs> when it comes to football and, and getting to ideal playing weights, it's easier to lose than it is to gain. But, again, th- this player in Easley and a player in Daniels, from Illinois and from New Jersey. They'll probably redshirt, and that heat's going to crush them when they get here and start practicing in August. I mean, they're already here, but when you go through the summer, it's going to crush them. They'll adjust do it. Sokovi White, uh, hoping for an Isaiah McKenzie-type guy. Quintavious Johnson got to see him in a h- couple of high school games. I think he's an, an under-the-radar defensive end, 6'4", 245. So I'm play some running back and some wildcat at quarterback as well. Chauncey Bones, the Florida flip, solid running back. Here's a guy with some upside, Namadi Ogboko. He's only been playing football for a couple of years from North Carolina. Massive 6'4", 335, potential future nose tackle. Another under-the-radar huge body, Malachi Tolliver, 6'5", 320, probably be an offensive guard. The number two tight end in this class, Colton Heinrich from the famous Cardinal Gibbons High School. And then the six players that will be coming in the fall, Nate Frazier running back from that powerhouse. Mater De High School from Santa Ana. Nazir Johnson, defensive lineman, another Florida flip from Dublin. He could play early. Justin Green, a defensive end from Lawrenceville. A little scat back, Dwight Phillips, Pebble Brook High School. The punter, Drew Miller from Mediapolis, Iowa. Then another one of those northern offensive linemen. Big Marcus Harrison, 6'7", 3'36". I miss old signing day, but I hope I gave you just a feel for it right there. All right. Back with you tomorrow from Starkville, Mississippi. Keep those tweets coming. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Walker. Appreciate you. Chris Rogers, great job, my friend. Back at you tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Superstations.